0: Hey everyone! Welcome to Private Club Radio. We go over all the things private club related. This is part two with my chat with Tom Wallace. I'd say this part it just summarizes. It it it's all about camaraderie. We we continue the conversation. I ask him, you know, what he thinks sets the club community apart from all the all the other industries. And, uh, we, we have a, we have a good, ch- we continue a good chat. We, we laugh a lot. And <laughs> if you want to listen to the end, you will find out, um, what my restaurant name for, uh, or what, what the restaurant name would be if, uh, Gordon Ramsey and John Taffer were to create a establishment together. What do you think sets the club community apart from other industries?
1: Oh man. Well, friendships. The, I, you know, I look at my life. Um, I, I think I've shared this with you on your show before is that, you know, if my dad was either going to get me a job at a dry cleaner or a country club shining shoes and he picked right. But I just think about all, I think about the trem- amount of people. One of the things that is sad about our business, but is all it, it is we, we get to bond with so many incredibly incredible members. You know, I've had two or three members that were just just so important to my life pass away over the last four or five years. But it's because when I was a young man coming up, they were sixty five, and I was you know twenty. So it's the circle of life. But I would you know the friendships. You know, I I look at what how much we share. Nobody in the club space. I've had my toe in around the Ritz and Four Seasons. They're less likely to share. Things between restaurant groups and hotels, but club me- club employees and members are so generous in sharing their knowledge. Uh, so what separates us is, I think, the friendships and mentoring that you can get. I mean, not only was I mentored by great older managers, I was mentored by great CEOs of my community that took a liking to me because I knew their drink and I smiled and I conversated with them. You know, one of the, uh, Bill McDonald was the president of Ohio Bell, which I couldn't tell you what that was when I was 14. Uh, cause I was, I, I, all I did was try to pass high school and wrestle and play football, but, and, but he took a liking to me and then he was a, became a lifelong friend, and uh, Larry Warner at Oakmont, and just I think of all the Bill Griffin at Oakmont, and just people that just took the time and said, "Tell me a little bit about yourself." And, and these are people that probably within their organizations, there are people in desk outside their office that would kill for 15 minutes with their boss. And these people would take hours and talk to you, take you to dinner, tell you about their career. I could call them. These are, there were, there were members I called when I was making career decisions and, you know, for their advice. There was old managers I called for career decisions. Uh, And friends like Dick and Kurt, you know, Dick and Kurt are, I work with now and they're my work partners, but they're, they're like iconic. And I used to be like, that's Kurt Keebler, and yeah, you know, I'm not going to say anything to him because I'm not. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know who I am, but I know who he is. You know, and I, you know, I. I one of my favorite stories is tell uh, when years after I joined the firm, I told Dick, I said, "Do you remember when you came to Cleveland? I, I we we drew straws who got to pick you." Pick Dick Copland up at the airport and bring him to Canterbury. I was at country at the time, and I said, "I picked you up. We had a great conversation." And I, and then after you did the education, I drove you back to the hotel. And he goes, "I don't remember that." And I'm thinking, "Oh my god!" I go, "That was one of the most important. That was one of the most important days of my life meeting you." And you, he was couldn't have been nicer. Yeah. He was very nice. gave me- Cell phone, but I go. You don't remember meeting me? He goes, no. And I was like, well, I go, well, that I guess that was uh, so. There's a lesson to be learned there, but I didn't have the impact I thought I did. But all those people are just people. That's what separates our industry. You can call on former employees, former members, and they're there to take care of you. You could call. One of the things I learned late in my management career was, don't push the committees and the members out of the out of the club business. But you have to find an appropriate level to bring them in and figure out who's helpful, who wants to micromanage and who wants to be helpful and and work with the people that want to be helpful. You know, most successful people uh, have a lot to offer you. But just because they're, you know, they're brilliant and run a hedge fund doesn't mean they know how to run a club. But if you have some financial questions or if you're in doubt, there is no reason as a club manager you shouldn't be able to handle just about any problem that comes at you as a, prof- a professional issue, because you have access to all these brilliant members, and hopefully you have access to a brilliant team around you as well. So there's there's a lot, but relationships, the network, the tightness, the family. I I I I think what separates us is, you know, it's a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a family. You know, people I work with. T- we, I have a group text with everybody from country. I have a group text with everybody from Oakmont. I have a group text with everybody from Mediterra. And I have a group text with everyone on the W team. And we're tight, you know, and I, I like that. And I think KKW team is a good family because even though we're all over the country, we're all, we all came out of hospitality more or less. So we have that want and need to be close with because that's how we're used to, you know, we were raised in that environment.
0: So what would you say are some common misconceptions of the private club industry?
1: Well, I I think, you know, communities sometimes tend to look at the clubs as the, the blue blood folks on the top of the Hill and the gate, you know, in the gated community or the gated club. I I would tell you that I have never worked at a club or met, uh, been at a club. And I've been in hundreds and hundreds over the years that their membership is an incredibly philanthropic, and uh, isn't caring about their employees. Uh, Every great club that has greatness, one of the key underlining factors is how much uh, care the members have for the employees. Uh, I also think if you you ask a group of club members, hey, this high school wants to uh, play their matches here, this high school wants to do this event here, the community would love to have access to our fireworks on 4th of July. They will almost always try to make that happen. Sometimes there's things for obvious reasons you can't do. But I, I do think cl- the giving power and the care that club me- members have is pretty incredible. And I think it, it's easy if you're, if you're not one of those people that was raised in a club or And you maybe you're on a different side of the tracks to see that as something different. But at the end of the day, they're all great, hardworking, successful people. And they're almost always willing to do anything they can to help out in their community. I, I mean, I, I when I got to Mediterra, one of the cool things in Naples is the clubs would compete with each other who would give more money to the United Way. And I was like, well, what? I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. I go there the it's not only ego, but now it's e- ego that's giving to, to something really great and powerful. And it, we would have these big events and, I, and it would be, we would hear through the grapevine, like, "Oh, well, Gray Oaks is ahead of us. So we've got to donate, you know, we got get the members, we got to get more money. And they took it very seriously. And uh, so I think the, co- the common misconception is th- that, that, the members don't care about the community, and well, the employees and the community around them, and that that could be farther from the truth. The the most philanthropic people in your community usually are members of the club, but take it, you know, th- take the advantage of that and know that if you have something that you really need, uh, I look. Joe Crenn has done a beautiful job of building synergy between his membership and his community uh down at Farmington Country Club, and I think young smart managers are getting our understanding that there has to be I learned that at Oakmont, which was there was no there was no separation between us at all. I needed my I needed the firemen, I needed the policemen, I needed I needed the road workers. When we had a national championship, it was Oakmont, the club, the community, the members, the putting on a, a national championship for the rest of the world. We, you know, everybody was, it was, that's one of the things I loved about Oakmont was the members would be there at six in the morning, filling up ice buckets so that there was water on the first tee for the players. So I always said that was the best bonding between the staff and and the members. The members are like, boy, this is hard work. And the bartender would say, yeah, this is what I do every day at 6 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it is hard work, but. Sometimes the, having the members see see the other side of it is uh, lends to the appreciation for the team. But I, I think that's changing. I think I think people won't belong to clubs in the future that aren't giving back to the community that aren't a pillar of the community. I I, I don't think young people. I think young people want to be a part of something that's that is uh, you know next wrong, next level, high end experience. But they also want to know that it's it's giving back to the community and doing good for the world that they live in. It's
0: about finding that balance of exclusivity and inclusivity. Um,
1: yeah. that's right. Perfectly said. Yeah, yeah. Perfectly said. They want exclusive, but they they don't want anyone around them in their sphere to feel like they're not welcome or yeah. And I think that's a there's a power in that. I talk about servant heart. Maybe they don't have servant heart, but they are caring people. They are a caring generation. They don't want anyone to feel ostracized or uh, outside of the big circle. And that's that's something I could say, gosh, that, that's much different than the generation I grew up in and probably you as well. I think kids are – there's still crazy bullying and stupid stuff like that that goes on. But for the most part, gro- grown people that are millennials, are, they really want everybody to feel a part of the world that they're in and
0: i don't know if this it's i feel <laughs> is that they don't put up with as much bs from people and if they don't like somebody or don't if they just think you're like not a good human being they're not afraid to say something and be like i don't want to be around you and
1: <laughs> there's like nah right. no no you're right you're right i think i think well it gets to you know member behavior and employee behavior you know employee behavior is usually not an issue because When you have it, it's dealt with swiftly, and they're usually no longer part of the team. But member behavior is—I think it's really focused and been spotlighted because I think as the generations get get younger and that are working in the in the club space, they don't tolerate. the the nonsense. They're not going to tolerate being verbally abused by a member who's had too much to drink. They're not going to tolerate, uh, those kind of things. No, I think you're right. And I think that will make for a stronger team. One of the things I love about a team and how, you know, you have a good team is they push out the loose ends uh, on the team. You know, you might hire, you might make a couple bad hires, but the team usually lets you know when somebody's, uh, you know, not going to make, you know, not going to make the cut. Um, you know, there are, I always think of that Yellowstone line. I think he was like, I'm going to make a cowboy out of you yet. Or, or they, or they throw you up or they take you on that long, <laughs> that long ride and throw you off the cliff. <laughs> but it, 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 not quite that violent as Yellowstone. But I, I always think, you know, when there's something in a person and if you're a good person, you can tolerate their, their, their little things until you could, you know, polish that diamond. Uh, I I think you're dead on though. I think younger people, if you're not, if they don't enjoy being around you, uh, I think they'll kick you out pretty quick. But I also think that puts a lot of pressure on you as an employer to make sure that you're a good, fun place to work and that they feel it right away. Like you don't have as much rope to say, give it a few months. They're not going to give it a few months. If they're uncomfortable, that's, you know, I look, think of my daughter, if she's uncomfortable, it's like five minutes in, she's ready to Pull the plug, you know. Let's get out of here. I'm like, we just sat down. Yeah, I don't like and,
0: it. <laughs> and she's gonna, and she's gonna let her and her friends know it too. Um,
1: oh yeah, she's gonna go right. Yeah, she's she's gonna give a Yelp yeah. review and all, yeah, all those <laughs> things. It, it's it's there will be feedback. They there. That's one thing about that. That My daughter and son's generation, they feel like everybody wants to know how they feel about everything. I'm like, are you sure people care? Oh, yeah, they want to know. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they don't, but okay, do your I thing. Think,
0: I think it's uh, Sebastian Maniscalco has, has a really funny bit about about that, about how people going out, leaving these, these crazy, crazy reviews, three stars, two paragraphs about the asparagus. He's like, me and my wife just go, man, yeah. we're, we're pro- probably not going to come back. Like it was just so funny. Yeah, it was a really funny bit on it. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, we're yeah. We're, guess what? We're not coming back. Exactly. It yeah. was all right. They want to know. They don't really want to know. Yeah, that that trained chef really doesn't want your 18 year old opinion on their chicken. Nope. I'm just nope. guessing.
0: Sometimes yeah. people do get a. I think I've, I'm just so jaded. I love Gordon Ramsay and John Taffer so much. Like they're such bad shows, but they're so good. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I love those shows because I, you know, a big part of being a club manager is the food and beverage and the kitchen yep. dynamic, you know, the, every kitchen and service dynamic is even if you get it to be in great synergy, it takes time, but there's so many things you see and learn as, you know, my I was 14 until I was 14 <laughs> years old when I started in clubs. I mean, I've seen it all. You know, plates flying, knives flying, all all the things, words. I learned all kinds, a whole new vocabulary <laughs> when I was 14. The
0: club dictionary. Uh, uh,
1: in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I also saw the passion. I also being mesmer. I literally remember being mesmerized watching uh, a chef make fresh mozzarella like just it blew my mind because I, you know, at that point in my life, I'd never seen, I had seen mozzarella. I had no idea how it was made and how fresh mozzarella tasted. So much more, so yeah. good compared to the stuff you got in the store and sliced. And I was like, wow. So yeah, you see a lot of passion, but passion with colorful language or passion with unbelievable culinary uh, results. One or the other. <laughs>
0: I I want John Taffer and Gordon Ramsay to to do a show together, just called F***.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you call it that? Really? If you if you had to ask, you don't know these two. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Only available on Peacock. Um so right. I really hope that they come out with either a TV show or a restaurant just named after that. Ah, <laughs> oh, kills me. That's part two. We're going to continue next episode, part three, where we discuss kind of the key strategies for achieving excellence in club management. I got the keys, keys, keys. So part three, going to continue that key strategies for achieving excellence in club management. See you over there. If you're enjoying the content, if you enjoyed this piece, uh, if you got this from somebody else uh share it with somebody else uh, if you think someone would enjoy it share it with them um giving a like a review a subscribe uh a reshare on the social medias subscribe to our newsletter things things like that mean the world to us costs nothing and helps us continue to move the needle forward until next time catch you on the flip